electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber and Jim Cramer coming to you live from different locations on this Friday morning. Very busy show today as we take a look at futures in the red. Jobs, of course, minus 701,000, ending a record long streak of job growth in this country. We'll talk to the CEOs of 3M, UTX, and Speaker Pelosi this hour. We got oil CEOs at the White House later on this afternoon, Jim. And, of course, a pivotal day as this SBA loan program tries to get off the ground uh, just an incredibly monumental challenge for the banks, the government, and the small businesses that will apply. Uh, I'm actually hopeful. I know there's a lot of community banks that are already up and running to be able to do it. Uh, they've started. Uh, there are a lot of uh, actually some very interesting smaller uh, online banks that are ready to go. I, we'll hear from Brian Moynihan from Bank of America about whether they're ready to go. It has been hard to understand. I know I had to hire someone to understand it, but I think that a banker can make sense of it. There is a lot of money that's coming to people. It would be a huge mistake for someone with two employees, three employees, to not uh, immediately go to their bank because the money's there and you got to get it. I'm not saying it's free money. I am saying they're ready. And I think I'm a little, I actually am a little surprised that they're all ready. They are ready. Give me the money. That's what I think. David? You disagree? Uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm here, guys. Sorry. We're, we're, um, we're trying Jim, to establish listen, this rhythm where who talks in I mean, what order. I know. I know. I, uh, we are. And I can't even see you guys. So I feel like a lot of our guests, of course. But I think we're doing pretty well. Jim, listen, this is crucial, as you say. Uh, you do need, if you have a professional relationship already with a bank and an accountant, you're in a much better position than if you are somebody who is a uh, sole uh, in a small provider company. in some way of services or or somebody who, uh, you know, uh, runs a small business that doesn't really have a lot of banking relationships. And I think that's got to be crucial, a crucial part of this as well. One reason why Secretary Mnuchin joined us earlier this week, trying to get people to go online and figure it out. Yeah, look, I, I think this is one where the, the small business people, uh, rather than go out of business, have tried, got to find a banker. And I think they will. I, I actually think that this is one where, uh, when we speak to, to Mr. Moynihan, uh, a bank like, a, like Bank of America, this is their chance. This is their chance to be able to get some really good accounts because they want these accounts. They put them online. They make a lot of money and fees off them. This money's guaranteed. Uh, I, I've, it, they're not going to get hurt on the loans. This is a, And this thing's done on the fly and it's done very fast. And I know both the Democrats and Republicans wanted to have it. We'll speak to, to, uh, to, to Speaker Pelosi. I know she very much wanted this. I know that there's a sense that it could be a run amok program. The hell with it. This money go. They, these companies are going to go out of business without this. They're going to go out of business. I think that's a good. Now, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Jim, has a study out this morning uh, in which they say a quarter, about 25 percent of small businesses say they have two months or less right. before they face permanent right. closure. And about 11 percent say they have one month before they face 
permanent closure. And that is clearly something that we cannot allow to happen. And a lot of companies, I think, already decided uh, that things aren't so good and they have closed. I think that they should rethink their plan. Look, I went over how much it's going to cost me for two restaurants. And uh, if, there was, if it wasn't backstopped, I have to tell you, I, I would only keep one of them. The other one, I would just try to do something nice for employees. Now I suddenly say, hey, listen, this could keep me to be the only company that's on the block but because I know how to do it. Right. But if, if you have to know how to do it, but it's a fantastic program. I mean, there's this $10,000 grant that makes it so that you're nuts not to keep your business open. I'm not kidding. you got to keep your business open. And that's what they need to do because this is the base. This is not President, not President Trump's base, but the base of America. And you, you can't get these people, the dry cleaner people, to immediately start building bridges. I, you can't get the hair salon guy to be immediately start building the tunnels. In other words, tr- traditional infrastructure, as great as I think we all think it is, does not lend itself. These people have businesses and they were closed. They were closed by the government, for heaven's sake. So the government has has to do something. It's only right. I had a business that was closed. It was doing great. And one day I, I learned I was closed. Hey, you better help. Now, of course, I not try. I have the money to be able to do it. I'm lucky. I'm blessed. It's fantastic. I'm healthy. It's great. <laughs> knock wood. But there's a lot of companies have to recognize right. they got to call the banker and call community bank. Community um, banks are open. They've already processed 700 loans. I know that's nothing, but you know what I mean? It's a gist. Yeah, but guys, you know, I'm sure you have conversations. There's not one that I don't have during the course of the day that doesn't end in some way with prediction. When do you think we're really going to get back to work? When right. do you think things are going to return to some semblance of normal? And Uh, It's very difficult to know at this point, but certainly there are those who don't believe that we are going to be fully back to work for quite some time. And I'm very curious to see during your interview with Speaker Pelosi, uh, Jim, what she has to say about another phase, because it would seem clear to me that as important as this program is and as important as that two trillion dollars in relief money is and getting that out there, there may be another wave that is needed, given the fact that, you know, it's not like everybody's going back to work suddenly on 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 May one or June one or even July one. It's going to take a while. Yes. But we we've gone from being we have something to fear, which is covid to we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Uh, and the complications of some regulations, which, by the way, are not that hard. I know it seems like they're impossible, but they're not that hard. Uh, and, and I just implore people to realize there's free money for you. Get it. Stay in business. Get it. David, I know you got a big one right now. Yeah, let's do that, uh, Jim, of course, because let's get back to sort of the virus response and the government's response, which has uh, certainly come under some criticism as well. But Also criticizing some U.S. companies, Uh, chief amongst them. Well, President Trump uh, yesterday, late in the day, slamming 3M after invoking the Defense Production Act to get the company to produce more respirators, more of the face masks, the N95 masks. The president tweeting last night, quote, we hit 3M hard today after seeing what they were doing with their masks. P Act all the way. Big surprise to many in government as to what they were doing will have a big price to pay. Well, joining us now to respond to the president uh, is the company's chairman and CEO, um, Mike Roman, of course, of 3M. Mike, good to have you with us again. And let me yeah, just thank you, let you thank respond you, Jim, if you can. Please respond to the tweet itself and to what you yeah, thought and, and, when you read that and heard that and, and, and what you have to say. Yeah, David, let, let me say this. The idea that 3M is not doing all it can to fight price gouging and unauthorized reselling is absurd. Uh, the narrative that we are not doing everything we can to maximize delivery of respirators in our home country 
nothing could be further from the truth. We are doing everything we can to maximize our efforts and to fight COVID-19 and to support the healthcare workers here at home in the U.S. And so what is going on here that they needed to uh, invoke the Defense Production Act? Uh, I know you ship to Canada. I know you ship to Latin America. I know you are shipping from your manufacturing now in China uh, and have vastly increased production from what, what was 16 million to as many as 32 million now. Um, but why did the administration need to do this? Well, David, we are doing everything. We have increased our production, as you said, by millions and millions. And, and we are bringing more respirators in from China. We are net importing into the U.S. Uh, and we've been telling the administration for days and days. And it's important, David, that you understand we're more than happy to shift our overseas production to the U.S., but there are going to be consequences on a humanitarian level as we are the sole and often the sole provider of those respirators in countries around the world where we put manufacturing to support them in just this kind of circumstance. We will comply with DPA and we are taking steps to increase our import where we have that ability. As the COVID-19 outbreak in China has subsided, we've been able to work to prioritize and allocate more products, get approval to bring product from China into the U.S. And we have 10 million now starting to ship, 10 million on a monthly level, starting to ship this week. And we're looking to expand from there. And we're, we're anxious to work with the administration to do just that. In the meantime, we, are, we will comply with, with the Defense Production Act. And, and we will right. continue to expand our capacity in manufacturing in the U.S. as we have laid out. And we'll, we're going to double again what we're producing in the U.S. But you do indicate in your statement, uh, Mike, that, in fact, this policy could end up hurting us. Uh, you say uh, in, if you, know, you ceased all exports of respirators produced in the U.S. would likely cause other countries to retaliate and do the same. Some have already done that. And if that were to occur, the net number of respirators being made available to the U.S. would actually decrease. Do you really think that's yeah. a real possibility? Well, here's the kind of how it lays out. We have a small portion of our respirator production in the U.S. that goes to Canada and Latin America. It's, it's been a longstanding commitment to the healthcare workers in those countries, and we are the primary supply for them. And we are net importing with what we're bringing in from China. The idea of bringing all of our production back overseas, we've already seen export restrictions, export restrictions out of the EU, export restrictions out of Asian countries. And that has been the response to even the idea that PPE could leave their country. So it is, it is something to consider. I, don't, I think that's where the help of the administration can be critical to help us you know, avoid that and to help move forward the right way. And then there's just the consequence on a humanitarian level, because we are, we are the sole provider in many cases of the respiratory protection for healthcare workers in countries around the world. Well, uh, then, Mike, is the administration not being honest about what really went on here in terms of uh, provisioning uh, respirators and perhaps just trying to cover up their own inadequacies and in properly preparing the country for this pandemic? Well, I think I laid it out for you. I, I, how the narrative was presented and overnight the narrative that is kind of propagated broadly and, and the focus there, it, it's just not true. It's, we are doing everything. The, the employees of 3M around the world are working around the clock and in the United States to deliver and continue to increase. We, 
we saw this in January. We decided to double our production in January long before anyone had called for a, a call for a big step up in the United States. Uh, we engaged with the administration at the end of February and gave them very transparent about what we produce everywhere around the world, including the U.S., and, and with our plans. And we've been in constant uh, discussions with them about how to best work with them, and we will continue to do that. We're, we're working with FEMA right now very effectively to prioritize where our products go. So the, the narrative that we aren't doing everything we can uh, as a company is, is just not true. Uh, Mike, Jim, how you been? I'm, I'm doing well, Jim. All how right, you? you hang in there. Uh, listen, uh, there's an impression from the president's uh, tweet that you, uh, let's just say that they wanted you to do something for a long time. When were you first aware that, uh, or spoke to someone in the White House that uh, you were ready to give them the mask? Uh, we had our first engagement at the end of February. No, Feb 16, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, we, I think that was the first outreach. By the last week of February, we had pulled together all the information that was they were asking for and had delivered that. And, had, and that opened a pretty transparent uh, relationship. And uh, we had Vice President Pence visit us on March 5th in, at our headquarters here in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. And we had a great uh, discussion. We we uh, the, at that point, the emergency use authorization had been declared by the FDA, which was a big step in allowing us to bring the industrial respirators into healthcare. Prior to that, they were not allowed to be sold into healthcare, and so we redirected all of our production of industrial respirators into healthcare. Prioritized it even ahead of the Prep Act amendment. There's been some narrative that we waited until the final Prep Act amendment approval. That's not true either. We stepped into it as soon as we saw the emergency use authorization, we started shipping product uh, to our healthcare customers. We were hearing the outcry at that point and, and needed uh, that EUA, that emergency use authorization, to really pave the way for us to bring a large volume. Our normal healthcare volume is only about 10% of our production around the world, including in the U.S. Okay, now well, it's I want to be really everything. clear about this. Uh, when the White House called you in mid-February, did you say that you had other oper- you had other commitments and you could not help the United States? Because I watched a program last night on another network that basically questioned your patriotism, said that you would sell out the United States and its first responders. But if you agreed in mid to late February to help the president, I don't know how you're viewed as a sellout. Yeah, I, I, Jim, you know, until the COVID-19 outbreak became really front and center in, in the United States, our demand in our, in our respirators in the U.S. was largely industrial. And so we were selling, just, this is kind of how it works. And I, and this gets to the price gouging and the resellers. We manufacture respirators. We sell them to distributors. They sell them to end users. Until that COVID-19 outbreak, the distributors sold it to anybody broadly. Right. As soon as the pandemic came in, we worked with distribution and told them where they needed to prioritize healthcare. So up until the end of February or until really that emergency use authorization, we were selling some respirators broadly to a non-healthcare application. So it really, it really was that changeover in, uh, in early March. Okay, now uh, the president's tweet says P Act all the way. Is that Patriot Act or is that uh, PFAS, which is your problem with groundwater, uh, which the Justice Department is not currently on, but if the Justice Department decided to go after you at the advice of the president, they could make your company's life miserable. Which is, yeah, what, I, is what is P Act? 
Yeah, I wasn't I, I wasn't clear, Jim. I, I took it at either the PrEP Act or the DPA. I, I my view is it was what we've been talking about since yesterday is the is the you know the implementation the order for the De, uh, Defense Production Act, and that's been front and center in as I said, and we will we will comply. We're working with the administration to look at how best to do that. We're also working with the administration to find ways to increase the import of respirators, you know, more from China. We are bringing 10 million in, but we produce more than that in China, and we, we'd like to work to expand that. Hey, Mike, it's Carl. Uh, two really quick questions. One is, um, when do you forecast supply-demand balance on respirators in this country, at least for health care? I mean, is there a date that you have in mind? And more broadly, to Jim's question, I mean, the, the criticism is going to come not just from the administration, but from the public at large, that after being celebrated for so long for being global, you're not American enough now. What's the answer to that? Well, you know, just when you look at the balance, uh, you know, the, the, the increase in capacity that we've laid out, we are at 35 million respirators a month in the U.S., plus the 10 million coming in from China. Uh, we are expecting to add about 5 million to that as we get through April. We'll add another 10 million a month as we get through June. And then we have, we're fast track investments and we have great support from suppliers and from, from governments as well to make sure we get this as fast as possible. We'll bring more online late this year. So we'll double our production in the U.S. again by the end of the year. That's what it's going to take to get in balance. I think near term, it's, we have more demand than we have production capacity and we're not alone. We are only one company providing respirators into this solution set. But it is very high demand right now. That's why it's important that we are working every way to increase capacity, bring more products in where we can, and think longer term. There's a uh, large uh, order from the government, which we replied to and have an award coming for longer term production of respirators. And we are investing in capital to bring that capacity online as we go into next year even. So it's it's a number of steps. And, and, it's, and for us, Carl, it's about doing everything we can near term, because that's where the need is urgent. April, the month of April, what can we do to maximize everything we do in April? Yeah, uh, Mike, it's David again. Um, And, you know, uh, there is obviously a concern as well, though, about price gouging. There is a broad desire on the part of many Americans to have face masks at this point. In fact, we may even see the CDC recommend it in some way. What do you say to those who are now looking at a box of 20 respirators that costs as much as $500 which is far above uh, what its previous cost had been. And who's responsible yeah, I, for that? Yeah, it's unethical and it's despicable. And, you know, as I laid it out, we manufacture, we sell through distributors. Since the pandemic came on and we've been selling everything into healthcare, we are working with highly reputable distributors and we have everyday conversations, making sure we know where those products are going. We have not and would never raise prices ourselves. Our distributors, we're holding them accountable, and we will take action if we see any issues with them. The real issue in the marketplace are those resellers that have collected inventory maybe back in January and February or other parts of the world, and they are now on the market reselling them, and we're fighting that. We're working with the Department of Justice and with the state attorney general. We are, we are identifying uh, resellers that we know are either have counterfeit or price gouging activities. We are all in on this. And this, we've been doing this since we redirected our, our focus on healthcare, and we saw this emerging as a big issue. So it's, 
it is something we're all in on. The narrative that we aren't paying attention to this or we aren't acting is is just not true. It's they're they're not informed or they don't care to understand the facts. Right. And and finally, uh, Mike. Longer term, it's not hard to imagine a world in which people want to wear face masks uh, of some fashion uh, for years to come, potentially. Uh, Is that your uh, plan or thought that that's the way the world's going to go? And do you see yourself having increased uh, capacity in terms of production for years to come? Well, David, we have had a strategy since SARS that we keep idle capacity available for these kinds of events. We knew they were going to come again, H1N1, swine flu. So we've had idle capacity that enabled us to double from our normal run rate in industrial and healthcare demand. And now we have made investments to double again. So we're already at 1.1 billion respirators worldwide per year that we're producing. We're going to go to 2 billion as we come out of this year. And we're working with the Department of Defense and, and others in the administration to really understand what more we need to do to deliver on the changes that are coming, including increasing stockpiles, not just in governments, but in in healthcare uh, providers as well. So there's a lot of learning going on right now. We are not hesitating to step in. We're ahead of the curve. We've been ahead of the curve in, in terms of our investments and our aggressive moves here. And we're staying there. We're not waiting for anybody to tell us what to do. We've been a leader in this marketplace. We've seen it since SARS. And we've taken that role proudly. And I'm very proud of the preemers around the world for what they've done to step up. I, up until yesterday, we received nothing but congratulations and thank yous with a few negative narratives out there to see this turn overnight and, and to see the efforts that our team is putting in. It's disheartening, but we are, we are standing tall and we were proud to keep uh, fighting COVID and, and doing everything we can for the U.S. and, and other and other humanitarian needs around the world. Uh, Mike Roman, always appreciate your willingness to talk with us. Thank you for joining us. Yep, thank you all. Mike Roman's the chairman and CEO of 3M. Uh, Jim, you heard it from him, of course. Listen, this is administration, and you know a number of these people in particular uh, that, well, uh, you know, can't always be completely trusted in terms of giving us the facts. Well, look, I, I think there's a problem here, and we saw, saw it with Puritan, which is the company that's the swab experts. Uh, they make the swab that was a proprietary swab for the, the nose for the test. We saw it with Medtronic. Uh, these, these are uh, companies that want the call from the president. Puritan wanted the call from one just from FEMA and said, listen, we want you to get all your stuff out of distribution whenever you can and just help us. Uh, Medtronic has the same problem. They have cut, they have relations in Italy and Spain. It's a big uh, Puritan's a local U.S. company, but Medtronic, big U.S. Com- big company that's based here, uh, although it's got a you know, it's got an address over in Europe, David, because of the stuff that we used to talk about to make your taxes better. But Mike, Mike Rose, he's in a tough spot because he's got manufacturing all over the place. He's a international company that happens to be based in Minnesota. So unless he gets the call in February from the president that just says, OK, listen, we don't care. Everything comes here or X. And that's really not the American way. But if he had done that, then Roman would have pulled everything from the distribution. My dad was a distributor of 3M for 30 years. And if my dad got the call from 3M and said, listen, you know, we need your stuff back, he would not say, well, you know, so what? No. I mean, the, the distributors work at the behest of 3M. 
So there was a way that 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 Mike could have done this better. But there was a way that the that the administration could have done it better. But then again, it's COVID. Who the hell knew what to do? Who yeah. knew what to do? Really, really quick, David or Jim. Yeah. I mean, there's a much we're talking about medical supplies today, but. Uh, you know, other countries are starting to limit their exports of rice. We were already headed in sort of a nationalistic uh, trend, but uh, now you're going to start to see uh, countries and companies start to talk about what do we want to keep home. But Benioff did this big airlift. He went over to, you can check his tweet, went over to China with a FedEx plate and got a lot of masks back. I mean, it is a little crazy. I just wish the president and the administration would not threaten. I don't know what this P Act is. Anybody know what that is? The Patriot Act? What is is it like Bikram is not a patriot? I mean, I, I met the age. He seems like a patriot. I mean. Yeah, he does. I, I, I don't know what the P Act is. No, um, retribution is no, not. We, we can do that later if there's somebody did something wrong. Yeah. We're trying to be united here. We have a common enemy, which is COVID. It's not COVID 3M. Yeah. 3M, not the enemy. No. Um, all right. You know, guys, let's move on as well this morning because we have uh, so many different uh, CEOs that we want to hear from, not to mention Speaker Pelosi coming up in a bit. But uh, today, also a momentous day for the company that used to be known as United Technologies. In fact, Raytheon and United Technologies have completed what was a merger of equals uh, this morning, uh, creating what will be a pure play in, of course, aerospace uh, and defense. Don't forget Carrier and Otis also now being uh, spun off as separate companies. And joining us now is the CEO of Raytheon Technologies. Note the name change, so to speak. It's no longer United Technologies, but it's the same guy who used to run that company. Greg Hayes, nice to have you this morning. Thank you for being with us. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to, have, good to be on. It's good to see you, Greg. You know, the world has changed so much in the last month, let alone uh, since you first announced this uh, transaction with Raytheon. And I wonder, uh, there are many companies that feel better having size and scope, bigger balance sheet. Uh, are you regretful in any way, given the current situation, that in fact you are jettisoning parts of this company and becoming a pure play? You know, David, it's an interesting question, but I would tell you, I, I can't think of a better time to be coming together with uh, with Raytheon and forming this uh, this really big uh, company called Raytheon Technologies. Uh, it's a it's been a quite a journey to get it all done. I just before maybe we get into that uh, in more detail, I just want to shout out to all the folks who, who worked on this for the last year or so at both companies, as well as on the spins. Uh, and also thank all the folks that are still working on the production lines today. You know, the, the health and safety of our employees is first and foremost in our minds. And in these difficult times, it's great to see the uh, the work ethic and the camaraderie amongst the troops to get even to get all of this work done on time, on schedule and to bring these companies together uh, today. It's a, it's a phenomenal effort. Uh, I would tell you the idea of bringing the companies together uh, when Dr. Kennedy called me a year ago. Um, I was a little apprehensive because I thought we had a great hand with the commercial aerospace business and some defense. Uh, but as he and I had the conversation over the ensuing months, uh, it became evident that bringing these businesses together was a technology play. We could deliver innovative, game-changing technologies to our customers together that we could have never done on our own. So, look, it's a, it's a great combination. We've got 195,000 people, 60,000 engineers uh, still working every day to to deliver uh, on those uh, commitments. And you feel as though Carrier and Otis are going to be in a good place for their respective shareholder bases as well, Greg, uh, in, as they go out as as pure plays uh, into this yeah. uh, vastly changed world. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting question, but I think it's one of the things that uh, we work very hard with the board to make sure that the capital structures for both Otis and Carrier uh, could withstand a major recession, uh, which is, I think, of course, where we're headed. Uh, both of them are investment grade uh, credits. Uh, both of them will have good balance sheets. They'll have debt loads that they can easily service. And, you know, Otis especially uh, is very resilient in these kinds of markets. As you know, most of their revenue comes from servicing elevators, uh, not so much from installing the elevators. And uh, the servicing is going to continue. Even to, as the crisis in Wuhan developed, we had uh, 60 or so service technicians there who continue to provide service, continue to service the elevators to make sure people could move about safely. So uh, they're in a good shape. A carrier, um, we've seen this play before. They know how to cut costs. They know what to do. And again, I think you know both businesses have great global uh, brands, uh, good global strength, and uh, they should just be just fine. Yeah. Um, well, Greg, one would assume you know what to do as well in this new environment. Uh, looking at, uh, I think, Cowan and Company, I think it's Kai Van Rumer's latest numbers, a 44 percent drop in your pre-COVID guidance is what he's pointing towards, given, of course, the significant decline in the aerospace market. Uh, when you announced this deal, you announced the possibility of significant shareholder returns of capital. Uh, I would assume in this environment that's no longer the case, is it? Well, look, I think as we enter the, the merger today, we've got a very solid balance sheet. Uh, we've got about $7 billion of cash on hand. Uh, we've got $5 billion of backstop financing. But more importantly, we've got record backlog on the military side, about $70 billion um, of current backlog. And as we deliver that, we're going to generate strong cash flows. Uh, even with the commercial aerospace business uh, down, uh, we still see uh, positive cash flows for the year. We still still see the ability to continue to pay dividends, as we always have. And I think that's very important. As for the share buyback, uh, all I would tell you is we'll see. Um, it's obviously in this market, in this situation, it would be kind of foolish to go out and say, yeah, we're going to do a big share buyback program. But clearly, over time, uh, the premise of putting these businesses together, the cash flow generation for both businesses uh, is going to be phenomenal. And we will continue to buy back shares when it's appropriate. Greg, Jim, always good to see you on the show. Hey, Jim. Uh, now, let's say two months ago, I would have wanted to buy Carrier. It would be terrific worldwide. Got fantastic business. We always care about uh, energy, climate control. I would have said, Otis, a disaster. It's levered to China. It's almost like it's flipped as Otis must be online big right now because China's just stimulating like and getting back to normal. Uh, it may be even exceeding normal in another couple of months. But I don't know. I'm worried about carrier. There's no business being done in this country right now. Greg, why would I want to own carrier and uh, what I can own Otis? Well, I think you can own them both, actually. In fact, you know, what's interesting, uh, Jim, is we looked at the orders. Again, I want to get too far ahead of Dave and Judy. Uh, when they talk about uh, their earnings here uh, in another month or so. But uh, we saw a really solid rebound in China. You know, February, everything shut down. The factory shut down. There was no business. March came back gangbusters in China for both businesses. Some of it was pent-up demand. Some of it was government stimulus. And I think that actually gives us hope that when we get past uh, these next 30 days or so, we start to lift some restrictions. We'll start to see a similar bounce back on the on the industrial side. Um, as far as carrier goes, though, keep in mind, right, they've got not just residential air conditioning, they've got commercial air conditioning, where they have a service base, they've got a fire and security business, they've got a global refrigeration business, they've got a lot of pieces that are going to actually do.
Uh, we seem to have lost Greg Hayes. Uh, let's hope we can get him back, guys, um, to continue his, uh, his, our conversation with him. Of course, Jim, you'd, you were mentioning a Carrier and Otis. You know, certainly he didn't commit to buybacks. We should also mention the market, Carl. We've got uh, the S&P down about 0.37% after those unemployment numbers. Kind of a, a mixed picture right now, seeing plenty of green on my screen. I assume you are as well. Yeah. Uh, and Jim, I can't help but be reminded about your interview with Larry Culp last night on Mad Money. Uh, GE, of course, uh, furloughing half of the aviation employees. And amid questions about uh, not just flying, but especially long haul flying, Jim, what's it going to be like uh, trying to decide whether or not you want to go to another country a year from now? I have to tell you that, that I keep coming back to this notion of COVID as the common enemy. COVID is the enemy of the carrier division. COVID is the enemy of the new great gear turbo fan that United Technology has, because if nobody's flying, who cares? COVID is just striking GE in the heart of where you thought that things were great, which is that a magnificent uh, aircraft division. Uh, and so you get the 20 billion from Danaher, and now all you're doing is you're plugging the holes again. And the furlough was tough for Larry. Remember, Larry, uh, he's dealt with 2001 uh, and 9-11, 2007-9. He was a seasoned CEO. But uh, I was calling it a job time. I mean, no matter what he does, there's always something, something that just takes him down. But my take is, is that he's going to get through it. And I like the stock. I do. I like GE right here. Um, well, let's get back to... Um to uh, Raytheon Technologies and Greg Hayes. I think we've reestablished our connection with you, Greg. Uh, we were just talking about GE, which actually leads me to a question here. Yesterday, GE announcing the furlough of 50% of its aviation unit employees. Are you prepared to do a similar furlough for your commercial aviation-related employees? So obviously, David, we're, we're looking at, uh, at the demand picture. As, as Jim was just saying, you know, air travel is down significantly, like 85% in this country. Uh, in the past month. So we know that there is going to be a reduction in demand and uh, our folks are already trying to get ahead of it, taking out costs, you know, reducing some spending and engineering, taking CapEx down, all discretionary spending. You know, my, my first and foremost concern, though, is to keep the workforce intact because uh, we will get through this. Uh, we've lived through 9-11. We've lived through the financial crisis and we've got a great workforce. And frankly, with the backlog on the defense side, uh, we're working hard today uh, to make sure that we, we transition work from the commercial aerospace side to the defense side of the business. We're going to transfer engineers. We're going to transfer production workers. Uh, we'll see. We, you know, when, when Boeing and Airbus actually settle out in terms of what that demand looks like, uh, we'll obviously have to make some adjustments, but we're going to try and do it as judiciously as possible with the thought that, well, this might be a, a two-year problem. Uh, we, we will get through it. There is another side to this. Air, commercial aerospace does come back. We've seen it every time. And we want to be positioned to to succeed in those markets when it does happen. Um, well, you know, on that note, Greg, in preparing, obviously, for having you on, I look back at, uh, at your January 28th earnings conference call. And like a lot of people, you did not seem to be prepared for what was coming. Uh, you were talking about it in terms of potentially the SARS in 2003 impact that had on an air travel, um, talking about the flu and things of that nature. Were you properly prepared for what we're experiencing now? And you just said potentially two years. I mean, have we ever really seen anything like this? Well, you know, it's a, I said this the other day. This is this is a war, and I don't think uh, many of us saw it coming. I clearly did not see it coming, and uh, that's my bad. But I, at the same time, 
the company uh, has lived through it. The senior leadership team has lived through this. We know how to deal with these situations. Now, you go back to 2001 uh, and after September 11th, you know, air traffic plummeted. And it took at least two years. It was 2000, early 2004, in fact, before we saw levels of passenger traffic back to where we were prior to 9-11. I think it's the same thing in the commercial aerospace side. I think until the vaccine is out there, until people feel safe to fly, um, we're probably not going to see a robust return. But people want to travel. People want to connect. Human beings are social animals. So it's, it's going to come back. We want to be prepared for it. Um, you know, I missed it. Um, Again, that's uh, that's my fault, but uh, we were reacting uh, quickly now, and I think uh, we're take, taking all the right actions. Well, Greg, you're not alone in that, of course, and we always appreciate your straight talk, and uh, it's good to have you despite these conditions, uh, and congratulations uh, on uh, getting this deal to the finish line. Uh, Raytheon Technology CEO Greg Hayes joining us. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great day. Be safe. You too. You too. Carl, yeah, Carl, we got an S&P that has uh, turned negative, well, is negative, but not bad at all after yesterday's fairly strong performance that increased uh, in terms of to the upside as the day went along. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about oil in a minute, guys. But uh, just to recap, I mean, Greg's candor there, uh, Jim, you know, hearing him talk about this as a two-year issue really fits with what CBO said yesterday, which is 9% unemployment at year-end 2021. Morgan Stanley today saying they don't see a return to economic activity to pre-virus levels until year end 2021. So, I mean, and and if you match that with the timeline of a potential vaccine, uh, you're looking at a a very long 18 months at least. It's too long. It's not right. It's too long. We got to do more. Uh, We got to unite. We got to solve this thing. We got to get the science guys more involved. We got to start hearing about how these viral these different antivirals are, are doing. We got to get the FDA, which has been showing new alacrity, getting it so that everybody has a drug. 18 months is too long for our country. We will not be the same country. We'll be a country very rich and then not, and then people who are just poor and there'll be no middle class. That is not a solution. We must not allow that. We must not allow our leaders to take 18 months and we cannot afford as a great nation to become a mediocre nation, which what would happen if we if we wait that long? Just it's all all stops. Everyone's got to pull it all stops. Everybody's got to be united. And we can't just have it to be uh, fighting and saying small business not doing good, whatever. It's too long, Carl. It's just too dangerous. Okay. Well, here we've got someone who I think can uh, illuminate the situation. I want to bring in House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, Ms. Speaker, welcome to the show. Good to be with you. I wish it were under other circumstances. Yeah, we all do. We all do. Yes. Well, I numbers want... are staggering, aren't they? There are 250,000 uh, yeah. cases, 6,000 deaths. So sad. But it's a common enemy. Uh, you united uh, with uh, both sides. I thought that was a, a monumental piece of legislation. It was. Uh, and uh, I just think that what's happened is that while it is big, and I know the Secretary Mnuchin wants it to play out, and I think it's going to work for a while, if these people are right, these, these, these people who are supposed to be seers and say it's 18 months, you and I both know that there will be millions of people who are unemployed. What do you suggest we should do? Because that's just too many for this great nation. Well, it is, and that was predicated on how long it takes to get a vaccine. We have some of the best minds in the country working 24-7, all hands on deck, uh, to find a cure or something that can maintain 
uh, a healthier life until there is a vaccine and the rest. So we can't accept that uh, that as a, a, an answer. But I do think that uh, we've had three bills that have been bipartisan. I think right now we need a fourth bipartisan bill. And I think the bill could be very much like this, the bill we just passed. I don't think that 350 is enough for small business, and I don't think that eight weeks is enough of a time to make a judgment about the viability of the business and how long they keep on their employers. So I'd like to go right back and say, let's look at that bill, let's update it for what some other things that we need, and again, put money in the pockets of the American people. Another direct payment, extending, we had unemployment at six months in our bill, it's four, let's take it to six for the unemployment so that people have that confidence. Hopefully they don't need it, but they have that confidence. And again, the small business piece, very, very essential. But when, when these businesses say they survive, they, they meet the criteria of, of keeping their employees on, they, uh, they pay the rent, uh, the uh, uh, utilities and the rest, and then their loan is forgiven, they still need customers. They right. still need customers. So that's why I think what the most, and while I'm very much in favor of doing some of the things that we need to do to meet the needs, clean water, more uh, broadband and the rest of that, that may have to be for a bill beyond this. Right now, I think that we have a good model. It was bipartisan. It was signed by the president, but it's not enough. And again, money in the pockets of America's working families. To right. remove all doubt that they will have at least some Resources. We are a consumer society, so let's have them have the resources to consume. All right, Madam Speaker, you know me outside. You know I'm, I'm a constructive person who wants to get it right and be positive. How about this? We do uh, something that would be rather remarkable, but would be with what Dr. Fauci wants, whom I think as a person is respected from both sides. We do a, a trillion-dollar, 30-year bond. Safe and sound. That's I got the even the acronym there, SAS. And what we do is we pay people to stay home for one month. We, if we're going to get demand, we got to do what Dr. Fauci says. We pay them to stay home. Even if we pay them in script, and if they go out, we punch a hole. They don't get the same amount of money. We give them mortgage relief. We give them rent relief, and we give them health care relief. We just do it and put it in their pockets and get this country moving because we will solve this pandemic by keeping people at home. Well, you know that other countries uh, have, are doing, some other countries are doing just that. Mm -hmm. uh, but the model that we had in that bill was to, again, keep people employed, whether it was in the airline industry, whether it was in small businesses and the rest, keep people on the payroll in order for you to, uh, uh, to get your loan forgiven. So that it's a path to that. I do hope that we, but we do need to have more money for uh, state and municipal governments. They're bearing a big price. Hospitals are bearing a big price. We, we just did a down payment for all of that. I would hope that the Fed would use its uh, capabilities, which are now enhanced by our legislation, uh, to, uh, uh, to ensure that the state and local governments have assistance. They don't need really any more debt. Uh, right. But there has to be a way for them to be helped by our monetary policy as well as our fiscal policy as we do uh, in our legislation. But I just really think, OK, we have a model. Again, it means... What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. 
Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. People will stay home and that's the best way to contain this. I do think we have made, a, a, we should have done more right now to protect our workers. And that's something that I wish, I know that Dr. Fauci probably speaks about, but I want that to be a louder voice so that the president is not just pitting one state or municipality against the next to get the uh, personal protective equipment that people need so that they can, as they try to save a life, protect their own lives, as well as the ventilators and the rest needed to help people. Because that, the, the um, uh, economy is going to be helped by how we reduce uh, the plague. And the plague, of course, needs a cure, a vaccine, and the rest of that. But in the meantime, uh, we've got to minimize the, prospect, the, the possible deaths. I don't accept that number. I think we just have to do more to do that. And I think that that's... Um, good for the livelihood of the American people as well as their lives. But again, money in the pockets of our consumers. Let's just go back with the same bill with some additions that we know we need uh, in terms of uh, pensions and uh, health care costs and, and District of Columbia, OSHA to protect our workers, uh, a list that goes on of some things that are just kicked down the road from before, uh, but where we can find agreement. And, and be ready to do that. We did four, three bills. March 4th was one, the 14th another, and the president signed a bill on March 28th complete in just that short period of time. Uh, we don't need a long time to figure out what we need to do next. We know, and Madam we have Speaker, a model. I know that you are caring about these workers who are on the firing line. It is a tragedy what's happening. Should we not bring back industries that we've outsourced. We've outsourced so much of our health care. Shouldn't we make these drug companies say, listen, you want to you get Medicare? You want to get paid by the VA? You start making this stuff here. It's too important. The PPE people, you want to be able to be part of the, of the health society? You make this stuff here. Ventilators here. Isn't it time to tell these companies, you bring that employment back here. We are not going to let you continue to outsource and then make it so that we don't even get our workers don't get the help they need. Well, it's not only for our workers, it's for our health care. Uh, right now, we're at a very serious disadvantage uh, because much of the, uh, much of the supply su uh, chain that we need to make the drugs is really in other countries, even uh, companies that are American companies or just global companies. They're not all American companies, but there isn't enough that is made here. And so now when other, we have a global threat, those countries are saying, I'm keeping these drugs here and we are up the creek. This is a very big issue. And we've been talking about it for a long time. Con Congresswoman Anna Eshoo of California is the chair of the Health Subcommittee of Energy and Commerce. And she's been on this case for a long time. She really does think there should be a commission uh, for, to, to address this issue about how America uh, maintains its um, independent, when I say independence, its capability uh, to produce drugs 
uh, for use here or export it where needed, but not to be left up the creek because China or India has the supply line, uh, side of all of this in addition to, in some cases, making the drugs uh, themselves. The full, some of it goes from India to Germany. Right. To, you Terrible. know the global economy and how there's value added. But we have to be more into that loop, uh, not only from the job side, but from the health security side. Yeah, and sadly, that's something... I, I... I think that the plagues are not, I like that word plague because it really is front and center about who the common enemy is for Democrats and Republicans. You know, one of the things that I think you care passionately about, I know you like small business, uh, the uh, Representative Valeskis, who's in our district, who cares more about small business than anyone I've ever heard, is a genius. She's a genius about small business. I am sure she is worried, as you have to be, that when we come out on the other side, that we'll have just Costco, Walmart, and Amazon. And we'll have McDonald's, Chipotle, and a player to be named later. How do we make it so that we are not a country that just has those guys and no small businesses against them? Now, I know from Secretary Mnuchin that there have been a lot of $400 million already delved out. And it's only 930. But uh, we can't have that, right? We can't have it to just be those big box stores. Well, we can't have that. And small business, of course, is the lifeblood of the America's economy, where jobs are created and wealth is created as well. And it is someplace where the greatest growth is coming from women and minority-owned businesses. And that's part of the vitality of our, of our economy. So we cannot come down to being reduced to just a few uh, large companies. But that uh, you're right to praise Congresswoman Velasquez. She's been the chair of this committee now, the set for the second time, uh, she know, uh, she's been on the committee a long time. She's been a champion for small business uh, because, well, because it is, again, uh, so important to our economy and into the lives of the American people, a sense of community. And, and that is uh, an economic as well as a personal success for those who are involved in it. I don't think there's anything more ambitious or optimistic that someone can do than to start a small business, maybe get married, but (laughs) you probably have weighed the equities there. But in a small business, it's a risk. It's entrepreneurial. Uh, People take a chance on that. It's so exciting. And innovation comes from that and the rest. And yet uh, we cannot be reduced to uh, a few uh, big shops, big stores. But again, these are decisions. and, And people have to recognize, as you do, and Nydia does, uh, that these are decisions. It, it doesn't. It's just an evolution of something. It's a decision uh, to make sure people understand uh, how our economy works, and that consumers are the of the lifeblood of it all. Really, uh, consumers and small businesses. And when they have money in their pockets to consume, uh, that is the best way uh, to grow the economy. And and again, that's what we're going to do. Money in the pockets of people. Longer period for unemployment insurance, so people have that confidence. Uh, the the PPP, the uh, Paycheck Protection Program, let's have that mm-hmm. for longer than eight weeks. Direct te- um, uh, mailing. I, I said to the secretary, please let's just transfer these direct payments electronically. Let's not wait until we can get some kind of a fancy mailer to get it out, because that's only going to delay it. And right now, people are optim- have a hope that something is coming, uh, let's, let's uh, not undermine uh, the enthusiasm they may have for that and the confidence they have that when we say something that we're going to do it. Uh, right. So I do but- think that I propose to the administration, to the Republicans, 
let's do what we just agreed to, except, again, make it more current uh, to, uh, uh, to, again, uh, understand that the business may be open in eight weeks or 16 weeks, but if they don't have customers, no, they were just where they were before. We don't have the demand, and, uh, and, but that is because of our common enemy, the plague. And I just, I think a lot of us are so thrilled to see you and Secretary Mnuchin work so well together. That was just a breakthrough. <laughs> Let me ask you something. Should we uh, just put something out there? We wanted to do that trillion-dollar bond, ten, you know, a 30-year. We could use 2%. It would be great. It would be an American <laughs> war bond against the plague. But do we have, would we ever consider doing force majeure? On, uh, on mortgage debt, uh, on how much you pay in your mortgage, on rent. How about force pressure these these healthcare companies? They're charging these small business people six thousand dollars a month. You hear the horror stories. Yeah. How do we make it so that those are either put in abeyance or the government helps? Because that's what's going to cause individual bankruptcies, and you and I don't want that. Right. Uh, we do have in this bill some mortgage forbearance, not enough in my view, but some, and we also have. Uh, 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 that you cannot evict people for a period of time, not enough in my view, but the larger issue, uh, it will, my city of San Francisco takes from some heat because it comes down on the side of the small business so often about how uh, people shouldn't be evicted uh, and the rest when the, when the uh, economy is not everything we want it to be. And that's at the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. That's for sure now. But this, uh, let me just say, any, dis- any discussion we may have had about any of these subjects in the past is completely realigned now. Uh, we have to make sure that, again, as you keep saying, we're all in this together. How do we make solutions that recognize we're a free market economy, that we don't begrudge anyone their success? However, we don't want it at, uh, at the exploitation of anyone else either. And sure. that, uh, sure. again, whether we're talking about, again, our city is a poster child for how obscene the, the rents are. Uh, almost immoral in terms of that. And so it's very hard to succeed. But in in any event, we have new technologies, we have new realities, and we have to make decisions that recognize how we lift everyone up, not just some. Right. Now, one last question. There's an institution in this country that is revered, and that is the military. They have 125,000 medical professionals why do we not have, maybe it's just because uh, we're a little bit older, you and me, mass units all over the country? Why isn't the Fifth Army stationed throughout the U.S.? Why don't we use our unbelievable military to help the just besieged and beleaguered healthcare people? They're ready. They're willing. But they've got to be asked. 
Well, again, that's a, a question for the executive branch, but I will say this. Uh, I've seen them in operation all over the world uh, in time of disaster and the rest and aftermaths of war, migrations and the rest, and they are absolutely superb. We think of them only as a defense function, which is, of course, uh, an, their important purpose, but they also are great in doing other things. Uh, of the people that were, say, shall they, they thought they were retired, that the president may call up, I guess he has called them up, about 11 thousand of them are medical professionals and they may be drawn upon uh, in the need for more health care providers. Uh, in terms of the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, they're essential as to how we go forward now in that vein. But again, the uh, local, the National Guard, the Reserve and all the rest, uh, they're, they're being helpful other places as well. Perhaps we can do more, but that would be up to the Commander in Chief. Well, uh, Madam Speaker, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Uh, for, I can't represent the country, obviously. I'm just a guy on TV. But it was fabulous that you guys got together and didn't fight and you had all the phone calls. And we know who the enemy is, Madam Speaker, and it's yeah. COVID-19. We but know. we do have our differences. As to, Their bill was a corporate trickle-down bill. We turned it jiu-jitsu. We turned it upside down to a workers first bubble up. Uh, right. But then, uh, obviously, uh, the need was great. And we weighed the equities yeah. and... We made some compromises and uh, did the job. Now let's do it again. Absolutely. Let's crush this thing. Let's just crush it. Madam Speaker, thank you so much. Back to you, Carl. Great stuff, Jim, uh, with the Speaker. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, Bank of America just tweeted a few moments ago, clients can now apply for the Federal Paycheck Protection Program. The biggest bank to get up and running today. We'll talk to Brian Moynihan later on this morning on CNBC with the Dow down about 100. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. Yeah, look, we got a common theme this morning, obviously, against this plague. And it, what's going to happen? We want the vaccine 18 months way too long for our country. So that's why we're relying on antivirals. There's a note this morning from Goldman talking about how uh, maybe Gilead's drug, the uh, Remdesivir, that's R-E-M-D-E-S-I-V-I-R, maybe it's showing some signs of being good. Uh, now, given the fact that the company does, the Goldman doesn't like the company, I thought this was kind of positive, leading to faster discharge, fewer people on ventilations. That's the first step. That's the TAM flu that makes it so that this thing isn't lethal. So I regard, look, am I an optimist that the scientists are going to get this, whether it be Gilead or Regeneron? Carl, I am. But I also know I'm a pessimist. If we have to go 18 months, our country can't handle it. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. 